This is Greener Grass, a podcast. We are your hosts, Carrie Wee and Kelly McVeigh. We hope you're doing wonderful this Christmas season. And because Christmas and the holidays, you just feel like you want to be at home. Kelly and I decided to bring in some amazing Newark people this month. Today, Josh Pennington, he started with his wife, Angie, More Life Church in Newark, Ohio. And he's just such an amazing guy. I wish there had been a leader like him in my life back then. But he is here now and he's leading his community and uh, he's got a lot of wonderful takeaways that we can really take with us, think about, and really put to work in our lives. And he gives us all a Christmas blessing at the end and uh, really excited for you guys to hear this interview with Josh Pennington. Let's get started. Welcome everyone to Greener Grass and today we have a very special person. Actually, I went to school with him for a million years and have loved watching. It's the the beauty of social media. You get to watch and follow someone's story and not only that, but being in Newark, we've talked about Newark all the time, Carrie and I, but he has founded, I think founded and Josh, you can tell me, um, more life church and just watching, um, that community grow the ability that he has to connect with so many people. There are so many people that I know in the community that attend the church and have really found, um, their path and found their faith again through, um, what Josh and his wonderful, amazing wife, who I also went to school with, um, have done with that church. So we, thought that it would be a beautiful and an amazing way to finish off um, this year, our first year with Greener Grass 2021 with Josh Pennington. So Josh, welcome to Greener Grass. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me, guys. I know. Crazy that I feel like we went to we went to Roosevelt. You went to Roosevelt too, right? Yep, Roosevelt right. and Norkai. Yep. And um, then you really, I know you went to Ohio State, but you've really stayed home-based in a lot of ways. And I feel like it's incredible what you've done. And I wanted to hear a little bit of background. Did you know that, did you always know this was your path long-term or did you kind of find your way going to college, doing all the things? I feel like I was fortunate to find this path early in life. Around my senior year in high school, I knew that I wanted to really invest in people in a meaningful way that was not compromising who I am as a person. And I guess just meaning using the gifts and talents and abilities that I have been given to uh, help others in any way that I can. Um, And I felt like I knew that general thing early on, um, but it really took shape during university, after getting married young, my wife and I were married very young. We were married at 19. Um, yeah, that is young, Josh. We had four kids by 24. Holy Hannah. Yeah. I have four kids as well, but in that short of a time frame, and I feel like, and you tell me, I feel like when I think back of that time frame of my life, I was like still figuring out who I was. Did, do you feel like that, even though you had made all these big decisions and had 
moved into that portion of your life? I mean, most definitely. Um, so, so to be exact, we had four kids in 35 and a half months. Holy, that's a so lot. I can't Every mom it. gets Wait. that immediately. Absolutely. Uh, that's had, a roller coaster in itself. We had four in diapers at once. Yeah. Um, so kudos to Angie and you for f- navigating that. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I jokingly say we knew what, how that happened. We knew how children right. came about. And the way you get four children in 35 and a half months is high energy and low IQ. Like that. <laughs> 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 we, we were definitely out of our depth. We didn't know what we were doing. And I think an important point that I've learned of over 20 years of working directly with people is that um, finding your thing, your purpose, your calling, whatever language you want to attach to it, is that it's not an event. It's a gradual awakening. And I think that Angie and I from an early age just embraced, we don't need to know everything right now. Let's just gradually awaken to whatever we need to at the time. So I love that concept in general, and I want to come back to you, this portion of your life, but I love, I saw on the More Life Church website, the dream team, like I love the concept and dream team is really like finding your purpose in life. And I think, you know, ultimately that's my love and my deal is helping people figuring out what they want and who they want to be. Mm -hmm. And I love that you have you knew that that was really, really important to you, but then um, your faith being so important to you that you've you've combined the two? Because I don't know that there are many churches, and you probably know better than I, that combine those two in that way. We, we've definitely been intentional about, about that. And we wanted to create there's there's lots of good churches in our region and across the world, and and I don't only need to come at this from a church perspective, um, because right. I kind of have a wide range of interests. But um, we there wasn't really a church that we thought we wanted to be a part of in the way it was. So rather than just complain about something not existing, we said, well, why don't we just create it? And right. that's what we did. You know, we we're like, okay, well, let's just get into the conversation and. Um, people finding their purpose and their calling is massive for me. And I kind of feel like part of my why is to help other people figure out their why. Yes. The same, same for me. Like I, I do that every single day. So, so how do you bridge from four kids in diapers being that young and married and I have not been successful. So if I ever choose to get married again, Josh, you're my number one person to come and talk to. I'm oh not even gosh. joking about that. Oh my. Um, but I feel like, how do you navigate figuring out that together and bridging from that to starting a church? I think I'd start with a default position that um, might go against the stream a little bit, might go upstream a little bit. And I, I start, and Angie and I have both started with the default position that pain is a part of the equation. Frustration yes. is a part of the equation. Unhappiness is a part of the equation. Now, none of those things are the goals, but they are a part of the process. And I think when you default to this is hard, 
this isn't easy, things are going to go wrong, then you're not disappointed and and annoyed when life doesn't play along. And so you just start with life sucks <laughs> at times and right. deal with it. Like, like assume that going in, I think it's been a big part of our journey. Like it just, we just knew that it was going to be tough. And when good things happen, it really lets us celebrate and honor those moments. No, I love that. And listen, at 45, this is something that I unfortunately just learned is I am Kelly, everyone be happy. Let's figure out how to, I want everyone to be happy. That's like my goal all the time, every day. And I feel like in the last couple of years with the partner I'm with right now, there were a couple of times that he's like, you know what? It's okay for me to just have a bad day and it's okay for things to not be okay. That's reality. And that's part of life. And you have to accept that too. And you can't always push people into joy you need to let them be where they're at. And I think it took me a long time to figure that out and is probably part of the reason why some things have gone, you know, I don't want to say wrong because I accept all the parts of the journey, but, you know, I was constantly trying to pull people into happiness when sometimes it, that wasn't the space they were in. Yeah. Uh, and you know this about me. Um, Kelly, but most of the listeners would not, and, and Carrie, Carrie wouldn't either, I don't think. Um, so my mom passed away 10 years ago. I was in my yes. early 30s when my mom died. Um, shortly after that, I had a heart attack at age 36. Um, and so like challenge after challenge after challenge just kept on punching me personally in the mouth. And Simon Sinek wrote an incredible book called Start With Why, but I would be a contrarian a little bit and I would say, yeah, I get the concept, but once you answer those why questions, you're still, you're still left with, now what do I do? You know, why did my mom right. die so young? Why did she miss out on so much? Like, I get that question and it's an aching question, but I like to ask different questions. Like, now what am I going to do now that this has happened? And I can't take everyone's pain away. I can't take everyone's struggle away. But I think I can help with mindset and approach. And really, that comes down to me or comes down to, for me, a person, a person's purpose and their calling and leaning into that. And it has gotten me through all of the difficulties. Okay, I love that. And of course, I'm so sorry. Yeah, about yeah, yeah. losing your mom that early. Do you feel like that happening is, you know, a part of how you got where you're at now? No question. Yes. Because it made you look at life, your purpose. Um, I mean, I'm answering the question for you, but yeah. in what way? We all know in our mind that life is short. Um, but when you have those, when you have those personal encounters that connect you to the brevity of life, it has a way of changing you if you let it in a good way. And I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to make the most of everything. I'm not going to wait and do this later. 
Uh, the island of tomorrow is so far away. Like I'm going to get to it right now. Like just get after it and fail, succeed, fail, fail, fail. But just, it just kind of unlocked something in me. Was there a part of you in that moment? Because I feel, you know, I feel like in that time frame, there's a part where a lot of people question their faith yeah. or, um, you know, get stuck in this, not this ability to not accept it. Did you feel that at all? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. You know, I went through a period where I questioned everything. I read, I read books that went against my belief system. And I think it's all about that gradual awakening that I talked about earlier. Like the next thing comes out of the next you, like the next thing in your life comes out of you becoming the person and the new version of you. And it shaped and molded a new version of me. I mean, I read books that went totally against my established belief system. I'll be really honest with you. I was, I was angry and I was like, I'm examining everything. Like, are these things, what about these things? I believe, is it bullshit? Is it real? You know, like what's the reality here? What's going on? And just dove into it and thought, you know, the truth is not afraid. And if what I'm, what I'm standing on is authentic and real, it'll hold up under any scrutiny of differing thoughts or opinions or beliefs. And if I'm not believing something that's the truth, I want it out of my life. I don't want to just repeat something. I just don't want to be a parrot. You know, I don't want to just say what I heard someone else say. Right. That was just all part of my personal like evolution and growth. No, I, I mean, I'm amazed and I love that. And I, and I love that you not love because I feel like any heartache and, and questioning everything comes from pain. Right. But yeah. I love that it, it kind of forced you into this space of questioning everything, which ultimately made you stronger Yes, in, in where you're at and what you believe in all things. Yes. And then what about a heart attack that young? How does that shift I mean, I know in general, it made you not, you know, I love the, the island of tomorrow is really, really far away. I'm getting all sorts of nuggets, Josh, which is what I love about this. Um, but how does that, I can't even imagine that because that's like staring death right in the face in a lot of ways, I think. Yeah, literally. Right. Right. And so that same thing, like another hurdle that pushed you in the direction of where you're at today. Yeah. Um, I have, I have several vivid memories, um, recollections of, of that day was September 4th, 2013. It was a Wednesday. It's a day like it's, it sounds cliche, but I will never forget it. I remember, I remember the pain. I remember, I remember so many things that were so vivid, but the most vivid thing to me is, um, they called a STEMI alert, which I don't know if that's still the language they use in hospitals, like technology changes, but that's all hands on deck. Like I closed my eyes, Kelly, to bear down on the pain that I was experiencing, like full on heart attack in the hospital. I closed my eyes to like tolerate the pain. I opened my eyes and the room is full of people. Like that's how fast it happened. Right. And so these people are all around me. And I remember my, my wife reaching out and she grabbed my hand and this is what she said. She said, Josh, you're the strongest person I know. And that got me through it. I'm alive because she said those words. 
in my, in my, in my opinion, I know there's doctors that get credit and so on and so forth, but she tapped into an inner strength with those words that just, that I I don't know how to describe it. It just, it it like, I was like, yeah, I'm going to live. I'm not going to die. I'm going to make it through this. And I only mentioned that because the power of partnerships and friends will get us so much further than we could ever get alone. And it's scary and it's dangerous and they can hurt us, but they can also heal us. And like doing life with other people, it made me realize like these death encounters, I want to do life with people, but I want to do people with, I want to do life with people who have my back. They get me, you know, at, at 44, I value more than ever stepping into a room, being on a podcast with people who get me and I don't have to explain myself. I don't have to make excuses. I don't, I don't have to, I don't have to convince them, but they just get me. That's like so powerful. And, and Ange launched me into that. And it's a strange thing to take away from a heart attack, but it's, it's what I took away. One of the things for sure. Even in the last few years, I've had some people say like, oh my gosh, you're so different. But I celebrate that. And I feel like, good. I sure hope I am. Like that means I'm growing. That means I'm finding who I am. And so I love that you said that. And then two, do you feel like people accepting and loving you for you and building that community around you of people that get you And listen, I love people. I'm obsessed with people. That's why greener grass is such a great space for me. But what do you do with the people that don't get you or, or don't, um, understand your path or your space? Uh, To be really honest, (laughs) not much. Um, listen, that's, I love that. Not, not much. Um, you know, you're kind. Um, right. I'm try. I try to be kind. I try to be empathetic. I try to be, I try to be patient, but the older I get, or as I age, maybe I should say, I have less and less reason to try to persuade people to like me or to go along with me. Um, because if you, you know, I've found out if you have to, if you have to convince and persuade on the front end of a relationship, if you have to convince them to go along with you, you're going to have to constantly convince them to stay with you in the journey. And that's exhausting. You know, Totally. I want people walking with me that know they want to go where I'm going. And I'm, I'm, I'm better with that now than I've ever been. I think that I'm getting better at it, but I think it is, you know, I am a people pleaser, but I think if you know, deep down, you're leading with kindness, you're empathetic. And I, I obviously think learning through the years that a lot of times when someone's questioning or confused, it's because of their perception or where they're at Mm -hmm. in life. Yeah. Okay. So four, you have more than four kids though, right? No, not, no, only four. Four is enough. You stopped at four. I agree. (laughs) Okay. You stopped at four. So, so what did you, so you find in college or university that you, this is the direction you want to go. Um, and obviously you and Angie are just, um, so together on direction. I think you, I think you grew in the same 
direction, which I think is, you know, what happens a lot, especially for people that are married young, they start to, to grow in different directions and they can't figure out how to get in the same direction and path. But you obviously navigated that. How do you decide to start um, a church and what does that look like? Um, well, it, it looks like a chaotic mess is what it looks like in the beginning. I mean, it's not, it's not sexy. It's not romantic. It's, it's, it's just fumbling through. And, um, you know, it's, it, it, at the beginning, Angie was not on board. Okay. Um, That's good to know too. Listen, I, these are the life lessons I feel like, um, I learned from. Okay. So Angie was questioning. It's a big deal. Well, so, she's not only questioning. Um, here again, from a from a religious background, this is what Angie says to me. She says, when I present this idea, I think we should start a church. And she says to me, I will never under any circumstance pastor a church with you. Like if even if angels or Jesus appears to me, I'm not pastoring a church with you. And that felt very personal as you might yeah. like, like with you, like maybe there's someone else. So that's the beginning for me is that we weren't even in agreement um, okay. on what to do. And so I didn't push, push the issue. This was a two year journey of me just being quiet and not doing anything with it and just okay. waiting and, yeah. and just not bringing it up at all ever. Um, and, you know, there was a pivotal moment where things changed in her mind. And she's, she's definitely okay with me telling this story. I've told it many times, and I think I tell it fairly accurately and objectively. And I was just like, well, I'm not going to ask my wife to do something she isn't all in on. And right. so I got other jobs, did other things, um, and was just patient. And, and I think that's important with partners is just like, Patience, like don't make them do something that they don't want to do. That is so short-sighted in my opinion. So patience is something that I lack. And I think that when you say this too, I am someone and not even about a relationship, but I'm just a busybody and like this idea and that idea. And I want to go this direction and I just move on things. How did you have this stirring in you? and? Just you, did you, when you were waiting out this two years and I'm sure it wasn't like you thought you were waiting, but did you just still have it stirring inside of you? Yeah. And I, I don't really, I don't really know if, if, if I should answer this question as honestly as I want to, but I feel like I should. Um, a lot of the patience was driven by me observing other people in my life um, that were sexist against women. Okay. What I mean by that is that historically the church is filled with sexism and they disempower. The church is notorious for disempowering women and I hate it. And I watched men strong arm their spouse in a way that I did not want to duplicate. And I'm like, that doesn't work. I'm not doing that. I'm not going to do that to anyone, especially the person I love more than anyone else on the planet. You know, if, if she doesn't want to do this, then to me, my love for my wife was more important than a purpose or an assignment or a task or a calling. 
And I just, I just, I just leaned into that. And, you know, and it's, it's probably not something that's popular to be said from people in my role, but pastors and church leaders are notorious for not treating people equally. And, and I'm verbalizing it and I have been verbalizing it for years now because if someone doesn't verbalize it, it'll never end. It's got to end. And I, I, I deal in the church world. So that's the place where I feel like I'm have the most powerful voice to say something. It happens all over. And I don't, I don't like that. I wanted to see my wife as fulfilled in her calling and purpose as I was. Kelly, how are you finding these outliers? <laughs> oh my God. I, you're, I think you're, are, do you consider yourself an outlier when it comes to you compared to your field? I guess your field is the right word. Yeah, I'm a weird because duck. I've, I've never, I've never listened to somebody like you. And I grew up going to church, you know, with my school and on Sundays and I was going to jump in and tell this anyway, but this really speaks to me. I just felt like it didn't meet me where I was at. Like I was supposed to just agree and be silent. Mm. And that's what eventually drove me away from it. Yeah. And I feel like if a person like you, who I don't think is very common, would have been in the place of that, I might have been drawn towards it. Because I, I, I didn't feel like anybody was meeting me where I was at. Ever. Well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that happened. And, and I think that, um, well, it, it is. And I didn't want to be common. I didn't want to be ordinary. I wanted to say whatever the heck I was freaking thinking and not care what anybody else said about it because I knew it was a deep conviction. Here's the truth that all men need to understand. Women aren't waiting for men to empower them. Women are building their own tables. Women are building their own thing. And we need to, men need to specifically wake up to that, especially in church, um, in the church world. And I came to the realization that if I disconnect from the way my wife thinks, I disconnect from half of the gift that God has created. That's the position I come from. You know, you might say universe or whatever, and I'm okay, I'm okay with whatever you, whatever you say, but that's 50% of the way humanity thinks. Well, listen, I can't function well at 50%. I need a hundred. And I knew that intuitively, I somehow knew that from the beginning. And it goes to the strength of being raised by a single mom and watching her fight and work and cry and bleed and scrape by to give me everything that she could. And I never forgot that. That made it an, an it made a deep impression on my soul watching my mom do that. Right. No, and I love that, you know, starting one, I love that you recognize that in your mom. Because I think there are so many um, single parents out there that that really work really, really hard to freaking figure it all out. Yeah. So that's that. But then I also think, you know, you seeing this and recognizing this in that two-year span, um, 
is really the foundation of your church. And I, I've watched some, um, streamed services and I feel like I can see that, that this is a partnership even within the church between you and Angie. Absolutely. Um, and I do think, you know, outlier or not in the field, I, I totally agree. I mean, obviously Carrie and I were both raised Catholic. And so maybe that's something, um, to be said. And I think Carrie and I are both strong opinionated, um, women, but I think that I had a disconnect for a time period and it was really, you know, getting divorced, obviously. And I went to confession, did all the things because, you know, obviously I felt guilt and, and, and whatnot. Um, and I think that there was a time in church that the priest mentioned that I couldn't take communion. He was, he was giving all the reasons that you couldn't give, you know, take communion. And that was one of them. And I just sat there thinking like a million things and feeling bad, feeling worse. Um, and then feeling like this isn't a place I wanted to come because I didn't feel a part of it. And so I think wrapping your arms around everyone and listen, one of the things I wrote down when I was, I was looking you up, Josh is a sayer of things, a thinker of thoughts, a maker of mistakes, a receiver of grace. Um, I love that whole saying and, or that way of, uh, of, um, showing yourself. And it is true. Like we are, we we all make mistakes and learning to learn from that and move forward and becoming the best version. And I think sometimes, and I don't know that it's intentional ever, but I think that there are certain, um, things that can happen at church that can make you feel, you know, turned like you're turned, like you're, you don't belong. I hate and, and you're right. Yeah. You're right. And I hate it. Um, and one of the things I observed as a young, as a young kid was my mom was divorced when I was very young from my dad. And I watched the church treat her like a second class citizen. And it right. made, it made me angry. And I vowed internally when we started this church that would never happen with any people group and especially the, the single parent. And, you know, I don't want to be preachy, but there's an interesting story in the gospels where Jesus interacts with a a woman at the well and he has a conversation with her and ends up the conversation comes around to, he's like, let's talk to your husband. That was a cultural customary thing. And she's like, I don't have a husband. And it comes out that she's had five husbands and the man that she's with isn't even her husband which is totally taboo, first century, you know, Middle East. And there's the interesting thing about this conversation is Jesus' next words have nothing to do with her marital status. If Jesus didn't elevate that conversation to the most important thing in the world, why would I? Now, does divorce cause hurt and pain? Absolutely. Do, do, do I want to see people go through divorce? Absolutely not. But that was a very telling story and, and moment for me where I realized, wait a minute, there is something greater and we've elevated something to a place that we shouldn't. And it motivated me to change and not repeat past mistakes of others. Okay. I love this. I'm all in. Okay. So chaotic, crazy, yeah. starting a church. When you start a church, I feel like, as with all things, 
you start with 20, 15 people. Yeah, like, probably. It was under 30 for sure. Okay. Under 30. And at that point in time, was it about, I don't, what comes first, chicken or the egg? Is it building the congregation? Is it finding a place? Is it structuring things like, or does it all happen all at one time? It just feels like it's all an avalanche happening to you all at once. Um, for me, it, it was, I, I, I would love another opportunity to restart from some restart something from the ground because I would do it so differently. And I feel like I would be so much more effective the second go around for yeah. us. All of those things are happening. So structure, uh, organizational makeup is very important. Finding a facility was of paramount importance and building the congregation came after that to me. So it was like, you know, uh, structure, building, then you, then you're in position to maybe help some people if you have those other two things in place. Right. And how big is your congregation now? So that's a really interesting question. Um, and listen, sometimes people don't like to say exact numbers, but like yeah. Uh we're, we're nearing the 2000 mark and people who call us home. That's insane. That's crazy. Uh, it, it's it's unbelievably humbling. Okay, so you and we can come back to if there's any like le- lessons in starting, but you what year did you start the church? I should ask that. 2004. October 2004. first Sunday, first Sunday of October 2004. Okay, I love this. Okay, so when when pandemic happened, I felt it was <laughs> it was a time that people probably needed it, but then people can't can't come to church. Did you have this? Um, did you have the live live stream ready to go, or was that something that happened quickly? How did you shift during pandemic? So, Carrie used the phrase or the description of outlier earlier. Um, yeah. I'm not going to say that I saw pandemic coming because I didn't, but I was very early in my adoption of online and streaming technology for church, which again, in our community was upstream, even within our leadership, it was upstream in a battle. Well, if you offer this, people won't come to the building. And I'm like, everyone we want to reach is online. Why would we not be online? That's dumb. To me, it was just that simple. Like it was a, it was a blockbuster versus Netflix mindset. It was taxis versus Uber, Uber. It was like, what are we going to be right now? So we were fortunate because I had set us up for that years prior. So everything was already set. Um, We were actually able to invest and upgrade our, our, our video um, streaming and our video online product, so to speak, like what we produced during COVID. Um, because then a whole bunch of people saw the need like, Oh, now we get it. Yes. Okay. I, and so do you feel like it was, because I feel like there were a lot of hardships during just mentally more mentally, probably, I mean, obviously health, but I think people lost community. They did. Did you feel like um, that you 
More Life Church kept community going during that time frame? Yes. Uh, okay. it, was, it, it was our total focus. And I kept saying this, and I'm, I've continued to say it. I wish I would have said it more, but I said, I framed it this way. We cannot allow a physical health threat to become a mental health catastrophe. Yeah. And we didn't all succeed in that. Um, and we're seeing the repercussions of that. But we did our very best. We, like at the beginning of, of, of COVID, um, we were making thousands of calls, literally. We made, I, I set the goal. I want 2,000 phone calls made in the next 30 days. And I want people calling one another, checking up on one another, um, finding out how people are doing. Call people that you haven't spoken to in a while. Text them. And the phrase I used was, let's let care go viral. Let's let spiritual care go viral. And we really jumped in with that, with both feet. And I was so proud of our church and still continue to be, honestly. I love that. I love that. And I think... Those calls probably meant the world to so many people. Yeah. Okay. So you also are a John Maxwell certified coach, trainer, speaker. Did that come as you were putting together the church or was that after the fact? So that was after, um, that was around, um, that was probably around eight or so years ago that I went into that space. And honestly, I went, I've always been a fan of John Maxwell's content and material. I think it's, you know, the, some of the, the best there is on, on leadership. Me too. Yeah. I, I became certified because I wanted access to all of the content, all of the teaching material, all of the notes, all of the stuff to train and develop people here in our church. That was my focus. That's why I did it. Right. And, um, was, was pleasantly surprised that I got way more than I bargained for in that journey. Um, that was really the beginning of a, a mindset transformation for me, seeing things at the next level for me and just a real growth opportunity for me personally. Like My personal growth through that experience kind of surprised me. I thought, oh, I'm going to be able to be better at helping others, but I didn't realize I was going to be helped so much. What has been, you know, the thing that surprised you the most in this journey? And what was, do you have something that was a, the hardest moment that you, a challenge that you didn't expect? So this is going to be brutally honest. I did not expect people that I was endeavoring to help to be so mean at times. Right. People can be mean. And yes. And I, I, that's, that shouldn't have surprised me maybe, but it did. (laughs) I mean, it just, it totally shocked me. Um, the emotional challenge of, um, processing my mom's death while still doing what I do was, it was terribly emotionally difficult for me. Um, she was there every week cheering me on and then all of a sudden she's not that's tough my mom died on a thursday i preached on sunday and she's just gone 
Um, that was challenging. Um, the building project that we accomplished a few years ago was something that I never thought I would, I would navigate. I, 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 you know, I, I just never thought that I would be involved in adding a physical footprint to our, to the community that I grew up in and the challenges that were there, um, managing it, um, making sure that we're, you know, using resources wisely and effectively, uh, that was, that was, that was up there. I I don't really want to redo that anytime soon. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I know it's juggling a lot. It's a, it's a lot. Yeah. So when you're, because you're a giver naturally, that's why you do this. When, when something happens and someone comes across as mean or they don't see the intent or they don't see, is it again that you just do what you can to lead with kindness and let it, are you better at letting things like that roll off your shoulders? Yes. I used to, I used to want to have the discussion and figure it out and um, woo them to my side of the ledger. Right. And years and years of trying that, sometimes succeeding, sometimes failing. But even when I succeeded, I really failed. Um, You know, a a preacher said in a message a long time ago that just stuck with me that if people want to walk away from you, let them walk. And don't try to keep them around if they're insistent on leaving. And it sounds like I'm, I'm advocating cutting off relationships. I'm not. But when someone tells you something like that, believe them is what I've arrived at. And um, you're really postponing their destiny by trying to keep them in a space that they don't want to be or don't belong. So I think one of the things that I love um, watching a few of the lives is that I feel and and I, this is where I come from is I feel like, um, religion in general, I feel like helps us learn, grow life lessons, um, strive to, you know, have strong values and things and be kind and honest and, you know, all of those things. And I think you relate it so much to being you're authentic and genuine and real and you're in today's world. Like it's not that you're not um, tying it into things that are in the Bible and scripture, but it feels so like life, life lessons. And sometimes I think those life lessons get lost. Um, Do you feel like that was really important to you to create um, when you sit down, do you sit down to write what you're going to say on Sunday or do you have bullet points or how do you, uh, how do you come with what you're going to preach on? It's, it's really different. Um, it's not always the same. Sometimes I'll hit a, a stream of thought and I'll just write. Uh, I love writing. I have notebook after notebook filled with thoughts. Sometimes it'll be bullet points and a story connected to that, to that bullet point. Um, you mentioned John Maxwell. And one of the things I learned in that process was never make a point without telling a story and never tell a story without making a point. 
And I've lived by that as a structure for my life. But when, when it comes to taking a text and relating it, there's a common practice that um, I engage in. I'll go in our auditorium and I'll sit in different chairs in the room. Physically, I'll go in there when it's empty throughout the week or on a weekend or a Saturday night. And I'll sit in every, I'll sit in, not every seat. There's too many for me to do that. That's an exaggeration. I'll sit in a lot of different seats. And when I sit in that seat, I'll imagine different people and their scenarios. And how will this thought land with them? So for example, a single mom with three kids has just went through a bunch, through a painful divorce. She mustered up the courage to be in a, in a service with us. Well, how will she process this? A man who just lost his wife to cancer. How will he process what I'm saying? Uh, a husband and wife um, getting ready to transition into retirement. I'll go through as many people group scenarios as I can and ask myself the question, how will they think about this? And I imagine being in that place. And that allows me to tap into a principle that I hold true, which I think is a secret ingredient for me to relate these things to everyday life is I come at my conversations with people through the perspective of, I want to be in their shoes, not in their face. I love that. And so that's kind of the process I always go through. Now, how is it structured? It's different. I'm kind of all over the place in my brain, so I don't have like an exact template. But that is that is the core of when I look at humanity, how I think. I want to be in their shoes, not in their face. Because I grew up in church, and I saw as a pattern, people were good at church, but they sucked at real life. And I didn't want to lead a church that way. I wanted people to take the masks off and not have to do church by a textbook of right and wrong and rules, but be authentic. And in order for that to happen, I felt as though leaders go first. So if I'm expecting people that I interact with to be authentic, I have to give them the gift of my own authenticity or this will not work. Right. Do you, do you ever share, because listen, we're all still making mistakes, right? Even Mm -hmm. when we try to lead the life that we envision or, you know, the way that we want to live life. Do you share those mistakes with people? All the time. Right. All the time. Um, I, I want people to see that I'm a work in progress too. I haven't arrived. I don't know all that. You're going to be able to ask me a theological question that's going to stump me. You, um, I'm going to have a, a moment of anger. I have moments of anger. Um, I, I, I'm going to be sad and depressed at times. Um, you know, I think the only difference between me and people that I endeavor to connect with is I just try to serve more. That's my competition. I want to serve more than you. And if that means you get parts of me 
then that's what it means as long as you understand I'm letting you into these secret parts of my life because I don't want you repeating generational mistakes that your family's made. I want you to break free of those patterns of destruction and destructive behavior. And if that means I have to get vulnerable and tell you my story, then I'm happy to do that. And it's my honor to give that gift. Okay. So without going into the controversial world we live in at this point, has it been hard to, because I think that in a lot of ways, unfortunately, the world or especially the United States has been divided in a lot of ways and it has affected the job that I do on an everyday basis um, because people feel so strongly on certain things and opinionated and they want to be very vocal about that regardless of what direction or what their thoughts are. Mm -hmm. Has that been tough to navigate in your community? It, It Honestly, that's probably the answer to a question you asked a few minutes ago the most difficult thing that I didn't see coming. Right. How polarizing the world we live in is and how it affects people deeply. And that's the challenge. And here again, coming at it from a certain perspective, and I know every listener may not come at it from this perspective, but my motivation and belief is this. When I die, I'm going to stand before my creator and he and I are going to have a conversation. I don't know how long that conversation will be. But here's what I do know. Here's what my my convictions say. Jesus is not going to ask me about you, Kelly. He's not going to ask me about your life, your decisions, your sexuality, your marriage, your family. He's going to ask me what I did with my life. And that's what I'm going to give an answer for. And I try my best To help people see through the lens of you are ridiculously responsible for your life. And you do not have to be responsible for other people's life and decisions. And I don't know if I'm successful in that, but I try it over and over and over again. Do you. Okay. I love that answer. I think that's something for all of us to remember. Do you think too that that also means even though you're not ridiculously responsible for the person besides you, beside, beside you's life, mm-hmm. um, that you, if, even if you're in disagreement with them, you can still love them, whatever, but you're not in charge of their, their life and their decisions. I, I believe that to my core. Um, if agreement is a prerequisite for love, we're in a big, big, we have a big, big troubles. Right. Because, listen, I don't agree with me all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. So, like, I have to first, self-care and self-love has to come at the beginning of it for me. Um, And I don't always agree with me. And I think that's one of the lost arts of our society is that we're not navigating our disagreements in a healthy way. Like I can agree with one thing you say, Kelly, and not be obligated to everything you say. I can disagree with one thing you say, but that doesn't mean I have to disagree with everything that you say. Like sometimes certain statements stand on their own merit. And I'm, I am so comfortable with the contradictions of life. I think it messes with people. 
Right. Like, I okay. wish we could all just like, life contra- is contradictory. There are contradictions that live in me. There are contradictions that I have with other people. And I'm okay with those contradictions. It doesn't make sense to me, but I'm okay with it. Do you ever feel um, concerned about the direction of the world? Or do you feel like the world always comes back? There are always spaces in history where there's turmoil and confusion and that we're all doing the best we can. And if we continue to leave with love and kindness, we'll get there. Or do you feel disheartened and concerned at times overall? Yeah. Um, I feel disheartened and concerned at times. Um, in, in 2000, when the racial tension was escalating, my youngest daughter was in Los Angeles at a place called the Dream Center. And um, she was participating in, in some of the protests. And, you know, I'm a long ways away. And it's, you know, it's scary to me, like, you want your children to be safe, Right. And, and there she is in the middle of it and making her voice heard and her standing up for what she believes. And, you know, as parent, as a parent, I couldn't have been more proud and more scared at the exact same time. Right. And I, and I suppose that more of my concern is not momentary, but generational. What will my grandkids inherit? What will my great grandkids inherit um, in terms of culture, society, division, right. or unity, or whatever, whatever it is? At the end of the day, um, I suppose this is the thing that gets me through um, is this idea. It's not my job to fill your cup. It's my job to empty mine. And if I do that every day and every person on the planet does that every day, I think there's hope. Okay. So I asked you beforehand, if you could leave us with a message to end out the year, a blessing um, to move us into from 2021 into 2022. And listen, before you do that, I have to say, you, I wrote down, I took a ton of notes just for personal Kelly McVeigh that I, I, I'm sure this will be, there's a few podcasts that I've listened to a couple times when I'm having a bad day, or I remember there was a nugget in there that, you know, was important. And this will definitely be one of those podcasts, Josh. So wow. I would even love to have you back at some point, because I feel like, I think we probably just scratched the surface on a lot of things. Uh, the, um, yeah. Yeah, wow. I mean, of all the of all of the people that you could invite, if you wanted me to do another, that would be like that would be awesome with me. No, I thought you were amazing. I feel like Carrie just unmuted herself. Carrie, did you want to say something? <laughs> I do. I just I just really appreciate you coming on here. I feel like, and I have a being Kelly. By the way, it's raining so hard in LA right now. <laughs> It never rains in LA. So no, it's a, a good day. no. It's like the best day of my life, and it's, it hasn't rained since the spring. Wow! Like we're in the huge, yeah. massive drought. But the bean is just in my arms with her hands over her ears. Oh, she doesn't like it. No, she doesn't like it, and it's just pounding down on the on the roof. 
So she's, yeah. So I, I like turned it on. I'm like, is she gonna freak out? Um, but I really feel like this year has been so challenging. The last two years have been so challenging and Josh, a voice like you is just, it's so calming to me. Wow. It really is. And I feel like if church had been, if the purpose of going to church when I was young was to feel grounded and calm and to feel my center, I think I would have stayed, Mm. to be honest. Because I feel like besides all of, you know, the the many, many reasons people are in church, I feel like that would be the reason for me to be in anything that I consider like a church type of situation. Like maybe it's just a meditation for me. Maybe it's just a yoga. Maybe it's just something that makes me feel like I can get into Monday the next week with good energy and feel really positive, you know? So... I, I really appreciate this and I feel like, you know, a wonderful blessing, even just personally, even if we weren't giving this to the world, I want a blessing <laughs> for Carrie's 2022. <laughs> you know, I'm like, please bless me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, Josh. And I'm sure we will have you back, but I'm going to turn it over to you and um, then we'll say our goodbyes after that. But we so appreciate you taking the time to do this because I know how busy you are doing all the things that you do. But I, um, I think we're very blessed to have had this experience with you today and for you to round out um, Greener Grass this year. Uh, the honor is, is seriously and truly um, mine. The assignment of a blessing over people is, um, is a heavy one. And as I thought through that, the thing I wanted to do more than anything was leave the both of you and um, your listeners with five questions to ask yourself as you end 2021. I think there's a blessing in these five questions being answered. And so I want to do that. And then I want to speak a blessing over Kelly and Carrie, if that's, if that's okay, would that be, is that an okay way to approach it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Five questions that will lead you to blessing. Number one, who am I? This is a question about your identity. And every day you step more and more into your identity. That is the definition of blessing to me. Number two, where am I from? This answers the question of heritage. Who's invested in me? Where are my roots? Never forget where you came from. Because whenever you go back to where you came from, you find out the reasons why you started. Number three, why am I here? This is a question of purpose. And as soon as you know that why, you can't be harnessed or stopped. What can I do? This answers the question of potential. And potential is trapped power. I promise you, every person listening to this, you have power trapped on the inside of you. For every mild-mannered Dr. David Banner, 
there is a green monster, the Hulk, waiting to come out and the world needs that voice. Number five, where am I going? This is a question of your destiny. This is overcomplicated, but where am I going is about you determining your next steps and framing your life the way you want to frame it, living free of other people's permissions. When you find out your identity, you look about your heritage, you see your purpose, you tap into your potential, you see your destiny, there is deep blessing attached to those soul-searching questions. So I hope as you end 2021, you will dive into those questions and give them some honest, heartfelt time and energy to explore. And if you do that, I can guarantee you your 2022 will exceed your wildest imaginations. That was amazing. I I can't even talk about how perfect that was. Um, And I wrote down all the questions myself. I didn't mean to interrupt. I'll let you continue on. Um, I just want to talk to you both. I don't know about speaking a blessing over you except to say that I am tremendously inspired by each of you, even though I don't know you very well, to watch you both from a distance and have an opportunity to see each of you on different sides of the country stay connected. I mean, number one, that's inspirational. Um, Men have not made it easy for women. And so I won't attempt to know how difficult your journey has been, but um, I'm just proud of each of you for taking the steps, for fighting through all of the junk that you've had to fight through, enjoying the highs and the lows. Um, And I hope, my hope for you is that your lives your families, this podcast uh, reaches beyond anything you would hope for. And I hope that there are special blessings in your business and in your vocation in 2022. Um, And I, I just see like a massive bright future for each of you. And I think I want you each to know, you probably feel this to some degree, um, but I don't think you've seen anything yet and don't let the world silence you or mute your voice. Uh, The world needs you. Uh, People have said the same things that you might say, but it's never been said in your voice. And I hope you guys step into that with like no fear attached and every idea, whether you think it's a good one or a bad one. I hope you just go for it and leave the outcome to God. Just go for it. Oh my God. I'm, I, I, I don't even know what to say. I, I feel like I haven't, somebody hasn't said that to me in a long time. I can't even remember. You know, like I I feel like I spend most of my time trying to 
self-talk that stuff to myself every day. Mm-hmm. And that's hard because it's such an uphill battle when you're just telling yourself all the time, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's, why I guess, why I feel yeah. like I wanted to say it. Oh, my God. I'm in. Josh, I'm in. I know. Count me as 2,000 people plus one congregation. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I'm not, I'm not like a, I'm usually not a religious person, but I'm, I'm in for this party, you know? Well, I wasn't trying to convert anyone. So I, I, hope, <laughs> I hope, I hope, you know, I wanted to respect the, you know, the wide range of listener that may be out there and I didn't want yeah. this a sermon at all, you know? And, 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 and I don't know that I do sermons anyway, but, um, that's very kind of each of you to have me on. And, and I did my very best to honor um, the platform and the purpose for the podcast. And I just pray it added value to someone. Josh, it added value to me. So I know for a fact that our listeners will love every second of this because I, I don't always take notes and I took so many notes today. And it's funny how of anyone you would understand this. Sometimes things come into your life whether you believe that God put them there or the universe was speaking to you, it's a lot of things that you said today I needed to hear, which as well, Carrie, you're saying you needed to hear. Um, but I needed to hear a lot of the things you said today. So I'm sure that it will um, speak to our listeners. Like for sure. Well, Absolutely. Well, Josh, I also feel like not knowing you more than this hour, I would imagine that might be your goal to not just try to reach people who, you know, had, you know, we're going to come anyway. You know, I would imagine that is part of your goal. Yeah. Like to, to be able to speak to and be heard by and touch people who aren't necessarily just going to sign up to go to church every Sunday. You know, people have to have, their own set of reasons and maybe they don't have that yet, but that's what I feel like is amazing. That's nice of you. I I never, I never set out to grow a church. Um, I just wanted to grow people. And I felt like if I help people grow, then the rest would just be kind of automatic. Um, because, you you know, I think that's good advice for business owners. Don't grow the business, grow the people that you're wanting to, you're wanting to service, that you're wanting to serve, that you're wanting to make their life better. Um, And the rest will kind of just happen. I kind of don't like being that flippant, but at the same time, it, it brings me a lot of comfort to know that there's not a lot of pressure on me. I just have to grow one person at a time and everything else will take care of itself. I mean... I, again, wrote all that down just now. I'm finishing my notes. Let me give you one more thing to write down and then, then, then I think we're out of time. But um, okay. your purpose is never absent. It's merely dormant. And I think when people feel lost, they can rely on that. No, I still have purpose. It's just lying asleep somewhere inside of me. Okay. I wrote that down too. (laughs) (laughs) 
I I feel like church via podcast this morning, this Tuesday hey. morning is the best way to start this rainy LA day. Josh, you I would love to have you. You know what? We should probably have you back for Easter. I feel like that would be like a good I love that idea. I feel like that would be really good, you know? Um I would be honored to do that. Um, and the timing would be really incredible. Um, I've written my first book and it's in the hands of a publisher and it's <gasps> supposed to be out of Easter of next year. Oh my um, God. Congratulations. Thank you. It's called, um, the working title. I don't know what the publisher will do with it. Um, but the working title is when the heavens seem closed, um, navigating the dry seasons of life. And it was, uh. it's more biographical of the loss of my mom. And it took me 10 years to be able to access my soul to the depth that I wanted to, to deal with the pain all over again, to write those things down. And I'm really proud. I'm really proud of it. I'm really, I'm really glad that the first thing that I wrote was inspired by her. Congratulations, because writing a book, just like the nuts and bolts of that, man, it's so not easy. I wrote a book. Yeah, I wrote a book too. I always say I want to write a book and I haven't really written a book. It's a lot of work. It is a lot of work and with such a deep subject. And I mean, it just accessed parts of the pain that were hidden in my soul. And I spent like hours just crying and not writing. Like I have, I have papers that are wet with tears with no way to verbalize what I was feeling. It just was so tough. Um, but I ended up writing the book that I wish had been written for me when I was going through all this. Mm, I love that. So I guess I just started like writing to Josh, you know, and yeah. let everybody else eavesdrop in. And if they like it, they like it. If they don't, they don't. It's, I'm okay with it either way. Well, congratulations. I'm Thank super you. excited for you. Thank you. Thanks for having me so much. Seriously. Thank you so much to Josh for carving out the time to be with us, lending us his wisdom and for his beautiful Christmas blessing. I personally got so much from it. It filled me with hope and excitement for 2022. And Kelly and I hope that you guys have an amazing Christmas. We wish you guys all the best to you and your families. Thank you to Asa Watkins for post-production. And if you'd like to join the Greener Grass family, go ahead and click in the show notes, subscribe to us so you'd get our breaking news. And please honor us with a five-star rating and a review where you get your podcasts. It really helps. It really helps build this community. Thank you so much for being here all this year. This is Greener Grass. This is Greener Grass, a podcast. We are your hosts. I said, D. All right, try again. Okay, go ahead and stand. Check, check. Lando D. Check, check. Say hello, listeners. Hello, listeners. This is Greener Grass, a podcast. We are your hosts. Lando D. Okay. We are your hosts. Stop. Would you like to say, we are your hosts? Mm. No, this is not working.